welcome to The Well Podcast. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and give you practical ways to strengthen your relationships. To find out more, visit thewell.ca. Well, I definitely don't believe in Jesus. It's obviously an ancient myth. And, you know, even the Jesus story, his biography, is, is completely unoriginal. He makes outrageous claims. He claims he has the authority to forgive sins and the power to raise the dead. You can debate about whether or not he actually lived and whether there's credible objective evidence for that. Do you, so you do think he was a real person? Most of the scholars I've talked to say he probably was. The evidence is not great, of course, but... There's lots of rules about slavery in the Bible. None of them are, don't do it. They never even thought to say that. I read about Jesus seemed to be a really good guy. They killed him. That's just the nature of people. So what you have in the figure of Christ is an actual person who actually lived, plus a myth, and in some sense, Christ is the union of those two things. The problem is, is I probably believe that. Do I believe it? Of course not. It was written by people in the Bronze Age who didn't know what a germ or an atom was. And Jesus healed everyone that he, and he couldn't walk and now he touched me and he can walk. I don't know what to do with that. The Jesus of the Gospels is either God in the flesh or a terrible imposter. There is no middle ground. Who do you think he was? Well, God is real, Jesus existed, he was a badass outlaw, and has changed my outlook on life. And so in some sense I believe it's undeniable. Well, it's great to be with you at the well this morning. Such an honor. My name is Jeff Brody. I'm the lead pastor at Connexus Church, and I'm a good friend of VJ's. And I know you know this already, but you're so privileged to have him as a pastor. What an incredible leader you have, and it really is an honor again to be with you today. If you're at the well today and you would say, hey, I'm skeptical about faith, I'm skeptical about Jesus, I'm skeptical about everything around today's service, I just want to let you know how honored I am that you would take a chance on church, that you would join us, and that would, you would bring your questions. And I know the well is the kind of place where you can belong, even if you aren't sure you believe, and your questions are welcome. Uh, as I get started today, I want to highlight for you a couple of resources that might be helpful as you go through this series. One of them uh, is this book by Mark Clark called The Problem of Jesus. Mark was a skeptic who is now a pastor. This is a really helpful book. And then this recent book by John Dickerson called Jesus Skeptic has been really helpful to me when it comes to today's message. And I'm just really excited to share with you. Today, you might be coming here today and you might be wondering... Okay, this whole like Christian faith thing, isn't this just a fairy tale? Like, isn't this a thing that a group of people got together, you know, probably all guys got together and like wrote this story up over, the li- over a couple hundred years and, you know, we're all supposed to believe into it and buy in and into it and, you know, how can you really trust a fairy tale? I mean, isn't this like, it's like Santa Claus, isn't it? Isn't, isn't that what it really is? is? Is that what the Christian faith is? Or maybe you're here today and you're thinking, yeah, Christians, I get it. They just believe in the Bible. Whatever the Bible says, that's what they believe. And there's no way you can question it. And there's no way you can find evidence. Um, they only believe in Jesus because the Bible says that they don't have any other real reason. And I'm just not really sure about all that. Or, or maybe you're here today and you're saying, you know what? All of this Jesus stuff, it was, it was really easy when I was small and my grandmother took me to church. But, you know, then my Sunday school teacher, Gertrude or Hazel or whoever she was, she taught me about whatever. But then, 
I'm an adult now. Like, I've got adult questions. Like, I'm not really sure that I can actually trust in all of that stuff. I mean, is Jesus actually real? Can I really believe it? Can you really test it? Can you really check out the evidence? Here's what I want you to know as we start today. Um, I want you to know that Jesus is at the center of the Christian faith. So um, what, I just think that's really, really important for you to know. That um, we have Easter and we have Christmas as these important days for us, not because we worship the Bible, but because of what Jesus did. That the Bible is very important to us as Christians, but Jesus is who is at the center of our faith. It's what we believe about Jesus that our faith centers around. It's because of what we believe about Jesus that makes the Bible important. And here's something else I want you to know. I want you to know that it is possible to investigate Jesus. It's actually possible. You can kick the tires and figure out if he exists. You can ask your questions. He invites you to do that. It is actually possible to investigate Jesus. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about, did Jesus really exist? Did he really exist? Was he actually a person? Did he really walk the earth? Another way kind of ask the question is, do we have accurate accounts of the person of Jesus? Can we actually see that he existed? Can we actually test that he existed? Are there places in history that we can see the person of Jesus? And today, you might not know this, but uh, I used to be a history teacher. I was not half bad at it. And uh, today, you're going to see a little bit of the history teacher in me. Today's going to feel a little bit more lecture-oriented. I hate to use that word because it's come so loaded. But anyway, um, it's going to be a little cerebral. We're going to engage our brains a little bit because I really want to show you what I think is really important evidence. And if the evidence is true, this is the big question. If Jesus really did exist, then it's probably pretty important to lean into that. Because Jesus said some things about our world. Jesus said some things about you and about our lives. And if he really did exist, maybe we should begin to ask more and more questions about what he claimed and what he said and who he was. So I'm going to look at four lenses of evidence today, okay? So I'm going to walk you through this, four lenses of evidence, biblical evidence. So um, we're going to start with the evidence that's in the Bible. Now you're probably like, of course, you're a pastor, that's where you're going to start. That's where we'll start. And then outside evidence, because we don't want to just prove the existence of Jesus from what's in the Bible. What about what's outside the Bible? Then we're going to look at early church evidence, the early church leaders, how, they, how we see them in history. Not how we see them in the Bible, but also in history. Some of the things that they did that I would argue prove the existence of Jesus. And then we're going to look at something that I would call current evidence. It's not really conventional, but it's something that I see as really important evidence as the existence of Jesus that I think is going to inspire you. It's going to root you in some current, or I would say recent evidence of who Jesus is. So let's start with the biblical evidence. We're going to start with the evidence in the Bible. Now, here's what I want you to know. I want you to know a little bit about the accounts of Jesus in the Bible and how that all got put together. See, there are a number of accounts in the, in the Bible of Jesus' life. Four of them are kind of the most robust. We call them the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And these were actually accounts that people wrote. Let, let me show you what I mean. This is kind of the breakdown in the first century. In the first century, you had the resurrection. That's what we talked about on Easter. 
And people who believe Jesus rose from the dead were witnesses of seeing Jesus rise from the dead. And then you kind of had a movement of people who believed this, who had followed Jesus, who became a movement. A movement around Jesus, who followed Jesus, who believed he was who he said he was. And then they began to document Jesus. They began to say, hey, we got to start writing this down. we got to start writing down who this was because we've had so many experiences with Jesus and we've seen him rise from the dead. And, and this is more than just about us. This is something that's important for everybody. This is something everyone needs to know. This is unbelievable what's happening. And then the Bible doesn't get put together until the fourth century. It's not until the fourth century that they actually start putting the Bible together. Together. Now, now, why is this? It's because in the 4th century, prior to that, it was almost illegal to be a Christian. It was illegal to, to say, I saw Jesus, he rose from the dead. And so what happened was when it wasn't illegal any longer, then people came out of the woodwork and they brought all their documents. I wrote down this, I wrote down that. That's the assembly of the Bible. And so when we talk about the Bible, the Bible isn't a book. It's not like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John got around a table and said, all right, Time to write the Bible. What do you want to write? It's not how it worked. Right? It wasn't also, it wasn't the Knights Templar from Da Vinci Code or anything like that. that. That these are actual documents. These are actual accounts of people who wrote down their experience with Jesus. And most scholars would look at these documents and say, yeah, these are evidence of the person of Jesus. And what I want to do when it comes to the biblical accounts is I just want to show you the beginning of one. I want to show you the beginning of Luke, Dr. Luke, who said, man, I want to make sure we have an accurate account of Jesus. I want to show you what he wrote. This is what he wrote. He said, many people have set out to write accounts about the events that have been fulfilled among us. What he means is there are events that happen with Jesus, things that some of us experience, and many have set out to write accounts. Now, I don't know how many is, maybe many is 10, maybe many is 50, maybe many is 100, but I think when it comes to your life and my life, the day we're gone, there probably aren't going to be many people who are wanting to write down accounts of our lives. But what happened here is so many people felt like, man, this Jesus, people got to know many people were writing down accounts about what he'd done and who he was. And this is what Luke says. He says, they used eyewitness reports circulating among us from the early disciples. People were writing down their reports, what they saw. We got to get this down on paper, who Jesus was, what he said to us, the experiences we have. And he says this, having carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I also have decided to write an accurate account for you, most onerous Theophilus. Ooh, I said it right. I kept saying falafel at home. I got it right. Theophilus. <laughs> I got it right. Theophilus was, uh, would be, have been a rich person who wanted to see this assembled. And what Luke is saying is, I got, I got to put together, I got to talk to all the people, and I got to put together an accurate account of what happened. I want to make it as accurate as I possibly can. And what, what's really interesting to me is uh, you have Luke's account, you also have Mark, who's also his account, Matthew and John, who are followers of Jesus, write their accounts, and you see different perspectives of the same thing. Or one of them heard this version of Jesus' sermon and maybe he gave it another time and it was a little bit different. Or in Luke, maybe he knows a person's name and John didn't know the person's name. You see the discrepancies between them because it's not like they sat down together. These are separate accounts. And he said, why did he write the accounts for Theophilus? He says, so you can be certain 
of the truth of everything you were taught. I, I want to have a full account. Do you know that people like uh, Pilate, who is in the Bible, but also is a documented in Roman history, would be, Pilate would be a big one. They only know some of the story of his life because they've pieced it together piece by piece. Caesar, if you know who Julius Caesar was, not the salad, but uh, Caesar, who, what they did was, again, they've pulled pieces of his life together to create the story. But with Jesus, there are actually four overarching accounts of the complete story of his life. I mean, there are so many people we don't even have that for. See, Jesus' followers were so, were so convinced that they captured it all on paper. And then what happened was when they decided to assemble the Bible in the 4th century, these things were so precious that they wanted to put them in the Bible. Right? My neighbor has a convertible BMW. It's beautiful. He keeps it in the garage all the time. Now, it's not valuable because it's in the garage. He puts it in the garage because it's valuable. And that's what they did. They took these writings that Jesus said, these, these accounts of Jesus said, we got to have these in the Bible. People got people to see these. We need this to be a part of the Bible. People need to see these accounts. And I, I remember meeting a university professor who I was surprised to me. She was a history prof, not a Christ follower in any way, but she said to me, oh, but definitely in our history class, like, these are actual accounts, Jeff. You need to know this. Most scholars would count these as actual accounts of the person of Jesus, that he existed. Now, what about outside evidence? What about evidence outside the Bible? When we, when we look at the outside evidence, what writings are there outside the Bible? Well, there are actually 10 to 15 account, external accounts of Jesus. Now, why do I say 10 to 15? Because some people say 12 and some people say 15. I would say 9 or 10 of them are the best ones. And the others are kind of mere mentions. And we have multiple accounts from people who wrote about Jesus. Romans wrote about Jesus. There's a Roman historian, Tacitus, who wrote. Jewish people wrote about Jesus. Josephus Flavius wrote about Jesus. Syrian people wrote about Jesus. People from different backgrounds, they all wrote about Jesus. They're all watching from the outside. And they wrote down their own accounts. These are accounts that you actually don't find in the Bible. In fact, there are... Some scholars would argue, many would, that there are more external accounts to prove the existence of Jesus than the existence of Socrates and uh, the, the existence of Pythagoras. I mean, these are people who we go, these are philosophers, mathematicians who we would say definitely existed. But there's actually even more accounts around Jesus that prove his existence. And I just want to show you one from Josephus. Okay, and this is what, it's, this is what Josephus writes. He says, at this time... There was a wise man who was called Jesus. His conduct was good and was known to be virtuous. And many people from the Jews and the other nations became his disciples. This is somebody outside who goes, I'm watching it. I'm seeing this movement. There's followers. I got, I got to write some of this down. He says this, Pilate condemned him to be crucified and to die. This is really interesting. Many of the documents connect Jesus with Pilate. What's powerful about that is Pilate is a really well-documented person. But those who had become his disciples did not abandon his discipleship. Why didn't they abandon his discipleship? Why didn't they abandon Jesus after he died? He says this, They reported that he had appeared to them three days after his crucifixion and that he was alive. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, the promised one, concerning who the prophets have recounted wonders. What's happening here is that he has to write it down. There's something about this Jesus, even though he's not following him, that he's like, I got, 
this has got to get written down. There's something that's happening here. And when you look at these accounts of Jesus, here's kind of the common things you see outside of Scripture, outside of the Bible. He says, this is what you see. There's a reputation that Jesus displayed God-like abilities and he performed miracles. What you see is his followers worshipped him as God. It wasn't like they just hang out and travel around and eat fish and it's no, no, he actually, they worshipped him. They claimed he was the son of God. He interacted with Pilate. That's pretty common. He was crucified near Jerusalem. And his followers claimed to have seen him alive. These are all common things that people outside of the Bible in their accounts wrote down. See, those who followed, the followers of Jesus, were convinced that Jesus' life was worth capturing. That we've got to take this down. That there's something happening here that people need to know about. Now, that's kind of the primary source stuff. That's the original document stuff. And that's kind of a crash course on it all here today. But most academic scholars would say that Jesus existed based on that alone. But there's also something that I call early follower evidence. When you look at the early followers of Jesus, there's something about the way that they behaved that shows me, man, they definitely did not feel like this was made up. Leslie and I had the privilege of being in Italy last summer, and uh, we went to the Mamertine prison. It's a prison where Peter and Paul were. It's, um, it's really not that far. It's like 600 meters direct, almost to the Colosseum. And you go down, and you go down, and you go down, and this is what, this is what it looks like inside. I took this picture myself. And, and this is where Paul wrote 2 Timothy. And it's really kind of wet. There's like a well in the bottom. And it's, it's cool down there because you're so far down. In 2 Timothy, Paul writes, if you come to visit me, bring my cloak with you. That's why. Because it's damp. It's not nice. And I got to come down the stairs, but Peter and Paul, they would have been lowered through a hole in the ceiling. And there definitely would have, wouldn't have been a light like this. And we stood there for a long time. It was just really, for me, a personally, a powerful moment. And we stood there for a long time, and you see how short this place is. And you think how dark this place would have been. And you think how long he would have been down there. And you think about where he would have gone to the bathroom. Would be the same place that he was sitting. And you think about what that would have smelled like. And you think about what that would have felt like. And you think to yourself... If I was Peter or I was Paul, would I do that if I made this up? Like, if you got together with your friends and said, this will be a great joke. Like, let's get a story together on one of, and lie to one of our other friends. And you found out it was going to cost you this. Would you do that? Not a chance. And not only were they imprisoned because they stood up and said Jesus existed and he was who he said he was. Look at this. Peter was crucified. Some people believe upside down. James, the son of Zebedee, was beheaded. James, the brother of Jesus, was clubbed by a mob. Paul was executed. Ignatius in 108 was thrown to the lions, they think, in the Colosseum, just like 600 meters away. The, the, these people gave their lives. They were so convinced that Jesus existed. See, those who followed Jesus were so convinced they gave their lives for it. They believed it. In fact, so many people believed that, that a movement began. So many people believed that, that the movement began to grow. 
And one of the estimates is that at the end of 100 AD, so, so just at the end of the first century, there were 40,000 Christians in 100 AD. And by 300 AD, they think there were 33 million Christians. That's why it became legal, because what else would you do? Half the people were Christians. And by 2015, one statistic says that there are 2015, there are 2.3 billion people, practicing or not, who identify as being associated with Christianity. That there was a movement, a movement out of these documents, a movement out of these people, more and more people convinced that this Jesus existed. So you can look at the documents and you can look at the way they live their lives and you can look at the documents outside Scripture, but there's actually a fourth evidence, fourth piece of evidence that I call current evidence. What I call current evidence. That when you look over the, even the last 200 years, what you see is convinced followers, convinced followers passionately living the words of Jesus, to me are really evidence. When you see people who said, I'm choosing to follow the words of Jesus and take them seriously, they are incredible evidence of his existence to me. They inspire me. Now, it needs to be said that there are other people who would say they were followers of Jesus that didn't live his words the way they should. We look at what um, the church did to the indigenous community. That, that's been a, an ongoing conversation in our nation that we're trying to figure out. And that deserves its own message. I'm not going to give that today. But we look at that and we look at, man, people who twisted the words of Jesus. And people had selfish motives when it came to Jesus. And there, there are definitely times where people didn't live the words of Jesus. But overall, when you look over his history, even recent history, when you see people who lived the lives, they, they lived the life of Jesus' words and they took them to heart and they lived them passionately, you can't help but go, man, these people are really making a difference in our world, that they're changing things. And what I want to do is I want to show you a passage of Scripture where Jesus does something, says something. And then what I want to do is show you what happens when Christians live this out? Okay, so here's the passage. It says this. When he, Jesus, came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home. This is Jesus coming back home. Homecoming. Comes to his town of Nazareth. He went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. People saw him as a rabbi and said, hey, you're here today. Why don't you preach? So they give him the scriptures. I take more preparation than that, but Jesus, he can do it on the fly. So then he says this, the scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He gets this prophet Isaiah, and he unrolls the scrolls, and he found the place. He's looking for a place. There's something he wants to read, and he found the place where this was written. Watch what he says. This is watch what he reads. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he's anointing me to bring good news to the poor that there is good news for those who are impoverished, that there's good news for those who are down and out. And he says this, He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that people who are living in captivity are going to be released, that the blind will see, that people are going to be made well, and that the oppressed will be set free, that people who are under oppression, that there's going to be justice, and they will be set free. And that time of the Lord's favor has come. And then he says he rolled up the scroll 
And he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And all the eyes of the synagogue are looking at him. I mean, you just read this thing about justice and oppression and freedom. And like, now what? It says, then he began. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled to this very day. He's saying the movement begins now. The movement begins now. It begins today. As my ministry begins, the movement begins now. And what we're going to do for those who follow me is we're going to free people from oppression. We're going to bring justice. We're going to be in the corner of the poor. We're going to bring healing to people. And when you look over even over the last 200 years at people who have lived those words out, it's unbelievable to see the evidence of Jesus in their lives. Some of you might know who this is. Some of you might not. This is William Wilberforce. William Wilberforce um, became, he was a parliamentarian in the UK. And then he had a transformation. He gave his life to Jesus and kind of in the line of uh, a group of Christians called the Quakers. Now they're called the Quakers because they quake at the fear of God, not because of the cereal that you ate this morning or whatever it is. And they were the original abolitionists, not the original, but a, a large group of abolitionists against slavery very early. And William Wilberforce says to his friend, well, like now that I'm a Christian, I guess I got to quit being a politician. I didn't speak well of politicians. But his friend says to him, no, no, no. He says, you, get, you need to stay in the parliament and make a difference. And he took his faith so seriously. And he took the words of Jesus that we read so seriously that he had a mission to abolish slavery and led the way to making it illegal in the UK and died three days before he saw it passed. He made an incredible difference, evidence of Jesus as he lived his words out. Some of you might know who this is. This is Harriet Tubman. Harriet Tubman lived in St. Catharines for seven years. She is a leader in abolishing slavery in the US. She was a conductor on the Underground Railroad some people think she, she saved as many as 80 slaves over her time as a conductor in the Underground Railroad. And when you read what she's written about her faith, I, I read one thing where she talks about this. She says, when I wash my face in the morning, I ask Jesus to wash me of my sin. And when I sweep my house, I ask him, is there anything in my heart that needs to be swept out? Isn't that powerful? And she talked about how she relied on God as she helped slaves escape in the dark and in the woods, it was her passion for the words of Jesus that caused her to make a difference. And she's, to me, evidence of the person of Jesus. Most of you will know who this is. This is Martin Luther King Jr. Now, some people talk about the amazing speeches he gave, which he did as the center of the civil rights movement. But many of those speeches were actually sermons. Sermons where he talked about Jesus. Sermons where he used the words of Jesus. I, I just want to show you one of them. He says this. This is in Montgomery, Alabama. He says this. If we are wrong, Jesus of Nazareth was merely a utopian dreamer that never came to earth. If we are wrong, justice is a lie. Love has no meaning. And we are determined here in Montgomery, Alabama to work and fight until, and then he quotes the Bible here, justice runs down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Because of his faith, it's, it's compelling him to make a difference, compelling him to fight for equality, compelling him to say, man, all people are created in the image of God. And all people deserve 
love. Isn't that what Jesus challenged us to? Jesus challenged people. He said, it's not just love your neighbor, it's love your enemy. It's just not love your family, it's love those around you. It's not just love the people you love, but love the people who persecute you. And he called people to say, every single person is made in the image of God. You see this when Jesus calls out and he says, the oppressed will be set free. You see in the New Testament, there's a guy named Philemon. And he has a slave who gives his life to Jesus. And they're trying to figure it out. And Paul says, what are you going to do now? He's your brother. There's no, there's no master or slave that, that all are equal. All are made in the image of God. All are made free. And you see this coming to fruition with, with people like Harriet Tubman, people like William Wilberforce, people like Martin Luther King Jr. who are who's fighting for civil rights, all compelled by the words of Jesus. This is someone you might, you might not be as familiar with. This is Elizabeth McMaster. Elizabeth McMaster would have called herself a Christian. She had a husband named Samuel. And uh, they had a transformation as a result of encountering the Christian faith in Jesus, where they moved from kind of, hey, I'm not really practicing, I'm just saying I'm a Christian, to like really jumping in. And they were baptized Bond Street uh, Baptist in Toronto, which became Jarvis Street. And after that, she was with a group of women. A lot of people think it was a Bible study. They were together. And she saw impoverished children in Toronto around her who needed care. And she said, man... We need a hospital where all kids can come, no matter their background, no matter where they've come from economically. So they started a little one, and then they moved it to a bigger building, and then they had to move to a bigger building. Her husband died, and she decided to get trained as a nurse, and she ended up helping lead that hospital. And that hospital today is called Sick Kids Hospital in Toronto because of her passion for her faith. Christians who are passionate that people are going to have access to education, the Church of England that started U of T, the Church of Scotland that started Queen's University, the group of Baptists who started McMaster University, wanting to have seminaries where people could learn about God, where people could have access to education, where science could be studied, where philosophy could be studied, education, hospitals, places where everyone is welcome, no matter their religion, no matter their background, no matter where they come from. Hospitals like St. Mike's and St. Joe's and the Hotel Jura in, in Kingston, these are all hospitals started by nuns who are passionate about the words of Jesus and decided that they were going to live it out. This person here is uh, Everett Swanson. He was in Korea in the 50s and saw as a result of war and other circumstances he held these Korean orphans and was compelled by the words of Jesus where he fed the multitudes and said, I want no one to go hungry. And he was, he was so compelled by that scripture and so compelled by these orphans, he started a little organization that eventually became bigger and bigger and we know it as Compassion International that gets in the corner of children who are struggling poverty all over the world. See, to me, when you see the, these people who say Jesus really did exist, and as a result, I'm going to actually live it, it's evidence to me, in, at the very least, inspiration that he does. There's a, a really great book called Bullies and Saints by a guy named John Dixon. And he takes a look at the, the church from Jesus all the way till now, warts and all. I mean, he, it's like a total... Autopsy? Is autopsy the right word? Anyway, he, he looks at the whole thing. 
And he says, man, there are definitely places where, where Christians have been out of tune, he says, with the melody that God has written. And that hasn't been good. But there are times over the centuries, every century, where Christians have been in tune and have made an incredible difference. And he says, overall, it is amazing the difference they've made. And this is what he writes. He says, violence, this is the last paragraph of the book. He says this, violence has been a universal part of human history. Humans have always been violent. But he says, the demand to love one's enemies has not. That's not normal. There's, there's things in our culture that we just assume, that you don't hurt people, that you see people's valuable, valuable, that you see justice. That is the Christian faith in our culture. That is these people who are living it out over centuries that has really changed us. He says, division has been the norm. Inherent human dignity has not. Armies, greed, Armies, greed, and politics of power have been constants in history, but hospitals, schools, and charity for all have not. Bullies are common, saints are not. There's something about people who choose to believe that Jesus existed and live that way that changes us, that changes our culture. Uh, let me show you this statistic. This is from 2015. They took... The, this, is, this is fairly current, 2015. They took the top 10 countries for nations for women's rights. These are, this is the top 10. On average, 75% would identify with Christianity. 25% would not. These are places that you would want your daughter to live. Places where there's freedom for women. That women's rights are continuing to open up. There continues to be opportunity. Leading the way. And then what happened is they looked at, at the 10 worst countries, countries where women are abused, even if they're just seen outdoors alone, where women can't get a license, they can't be educated, where women are seen as possessions. And this is what they found out, that 92% is non-Christian and 8% is. Where do you want your daughter to be? There's something about, and, and, and as the, in the Western world, as we, as we get concerned that, people get concerned that Christianity is fading, this is one of the really important reasons why we need to pay attention. Because there's something about, over the course, in the Western world, over the last 200 years, that as Christians have lived as they should, according to the words of Jesus, that has done something to our culture, that's that's elevated the value of people, that has elevated the importance of love, that has elevated why people shouldn't be in invisible or invisible slavery. And there are a number of people, there's slavery that's unseen, organizations like International Justice Mission are fighting for right now. Children who are, in, who are, who are enslaved, children who are taken, children who are abused right here in our area, IJM, they're fighting for that around the world, again, led by Christians. See, convinced followers passionately living the words of Jesus to me are evidence. They are evidence. There's, there's for sure documented evidence in the Bible, outside the Bible. Definitely you look at those early followers, but you can also look at the followers even of the last hundred years. See, did Jesus really exist is the question today. And I would say if, if you're asking that question, his followers, his followers those observing his followers, the early martyrs, 
those making a difference today, they're all convinced. They're all convinced. But I think the other question after the question is, does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? You see, if, if Jesus does exist, if you're skeptical today, and Jesus, you're, you're thinking, maybe he does exist. Maybe there is evidence here. Maybe there is something here for me. This is my encouragement to you this week. If you're skeptical, lean into the evidence for Jesus. Pursue this. Come back next week. Continue to lean in. Because if you realize, if you come to the point you go, he does exist, man, there is something amazing for you on the other side of that. Something that these people have discovered that we just talked about. And you need to continue to lean into it. It will change your life. But what if you do believe? What if you're like, I already believe Jesus exists. What do I do this week? Do I get off scot-free? Definitely not. I wouldn't be doing my job. If you believe that Jesus existed and exists, be the evidence for him. Be the evidence for him. Take 20 minutes on your couch, in your car, pay attention to the road, but in your car, what can you do this week to be the evidence of Jesus to somebody, to be for them, to be in their corner. Be the evidence of Jesus. If you believe he exists and he is who he says he is, live like his words are true in the life of one person. And maybe one day that person will want to write the account of you and of your life and the way you pointed people to the Jesus who really loves them and sees a value in all human beings, no matter where they've come from or who they are. Let me pray for us. God, we come to you today. We thank you for the gift of Jesus, for who he is. God, I pray for those who are here today who aren't even sure there is a Jesus, aren't even sure I'm talking to a real God right now. I just, I just pray that they would have the courage to step to the next stepping stone, ask the next question, have the next conversation. And for those of us who do believe in you, I pray that your spirit would challenge us to live like it, as uncomfortable as that might be. Because when we look at these people who lived like you existed, lived with confidence that you existed, lived according to your words, not only are we inspired by them, but we know it wasn't easy. Help us have the courage to live that kind of life. That we would point people to Jesus with our lives, not at some point, but today and this week. I pray this in your name. Amen.